Welcome to church uh, this morning. If you have your scriptures, would you turn with me to Luke? As you know, as it is in Christian tradition, uh, culture has sped us up sometimes a little too quick uh, than the church is ready for. It is not Christmas yet. There's good news here. Good news is that church can teach culture something. The church celebrates Christmas for 12 days, all right? And so maybe culture one day will catch on to that, parents, and you will be buying gifts for 12 straight days. Uh, But the one thing that the church can teach culture is that it is not Christmas yet. And so we are still in a season of journeying through and into the manger scene, waiting upon the day that Emmanuel will be incarnation, will be made in human form and present with us. Well... It is with that that we arrive to the angel Gabriel and Gabriel's message to a lowly young girl in the town of Nazareth. It's found in Luke chapter 1, and it starts with the 26th verse. If you have uh, scripture with you, you can find Luke 1, verse 26. If not, it will be on the screen. Here is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the lowly town of Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused, disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, But how can this happen? I am a virgin. If you don't understand that, ask your parents. (laughs) 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 Why did I do that right in the middle of reading scripture? Darla, why did I do that? Okay. Well, the angel replied, (laughs) oh boy, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, Mary, is that your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. Maybe your translation says, Mary responded, Here am I. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, indeed. Have you uh, ever not been chosen for something? 
Have you ever been chosen, not been chosen for something that you desired? Yeah, it's happened. Yeah? Have you ever been picked up last in a pickup game? Yeah, me too. Not Ron Zimmerman, though, but me. Ron's, Ron's always picked first. Have you ever missed out on a promotion? Have you ever missed out on making a special assignment or you didn't make it or your boss didn't choose you? Have you ever not been chosen for something that you desired? Our assumption for those that are chosen, I I would think our assumptions would be that the quickest, the wealthiest, the loudest, the most popular, the wisest, the strongest, the mightiest, the toughest, well, they win. They win so much we get sick of winning. They just win. Well, what is surprising about this story in Luke chapter 1 is that Luke has a way to talk about those that are the mightiest and the strongest and the wealthiest and the most popular and the most politically involved. Luke has a way of doing this. He does it through lineage. He'll do this soon in the second chapter of Luke that we'll read uh, tonight. He'll do this with the child Jesus. In fact, Luke will be so clear to make sure you know that Jesus is mighty and powerful and connected and deep and rooted that Luke will take Jesus' heritage and lineage all the way back to the first human being, all the way back to Adam. Luke, the writer of the scripture we read this morning, has a way of saying, you are chosen. But with Mary, Darren, Mary does not have a lineage or heritage that we are given when we first introduce to Mary. Instead, we don't learn that until later. What we learn first from Mary is that she was from Nazareth, and that she was a virgin. Mary has no lineage, which is Luke's way of saying she is culturally insignificant. She's unimportant. How might Mary's unimportance, have you ever thought about that? That the The virgin carrier of God is culturally unimportant. That Mary's unimportance, it might challenge our understanding of significance because in her, in the culturally unimportant, God finds favor. In fact, uses the title favored woman. It doesn't even say Mary. Gabriel comes to her with a new name. And the new name is favored woman. Her name has been changed. And if we know anything about the change of names, we know that God always changes the names of those he intends to use for his purpose. And in this changing of name, God somehow adopts them into the household of God's family, bestowing upon them the plans and purposes of God's will. You remember, right, Carrie, that Abram became what? Yeah, yeah, four of you do. Uh, Abram became Abraham. Yep. Jacob, what does Jacob become? I'm not confident that you know. Israel. He became Israel. And Peter becomes the rock, Caiaphas. Caiaphas. And then Mary. Mary becomes the favored woman. Mary's favor compels us to travel back 
and redo the assumptions that we've held on what it means to be important, what it means to be significant, of being picked, of being chosen, of being liked, of being obedient, of earning favor, of performing well. Mary's favor, Darren, her significance, is found in relationship to God, not of her ancestral heritage or her political status or her financial situation or her performance of the faith. Mary, she's a divine agent, a significance born out of her relationship to God. But if you're like me, Joyce, and you're not, but if you were, you might wonder how this relationship was initiated. Is this young girl somehow more special than the common person? Is she somehow more special than you or me? In this divine carrier, in this divine agent, we must remember that it is God. It is God who initiates the relationship. In fact, I like to think about this as if God moving down from heaven through Gabriel. God coming down to the very lowly town of Nazareth, entering the neighborhood and knocking on doors. Looking for who might carry his child. And so it is God that gets into his car and drives down the street, finding and narrowing his way into a street in which he thinks that the divine carrier might be, and God goes knocking on doors. We are told that God finds Mary. How might have that been, Mark? God going, saying, where are you? God is the primary mover. God is the one that moves to Mary. It is God that initiates this relationship. And who does God find when God gets in his Buick? That's what I imagine God drives. <laughs> American made, baby. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> who knows? Uh, who, does God, <laughs> who does God find? Ah, oh, the door upon which he knocks is in the most unassuming town on the most humble door, he finds an unassuming child, a young girl, who is completely unresisting to the will of God. Mary does not seek God. Mary answers the call. She trusts God. Mary does not seek God. Mary answers the call and she trusts God. She is an unresisting life. She's open and available to the activity of God. The type of trust that Mary displays in this moment is courageous. It is very brave. It's born out of a deep faith in the promises of God. That God will do what God said He will always do. And she is non Resistant, open, available. And this type of divine openness makes her available to divine agency. And Mary becomes 
a significant character in God's salvation story. Just want to pause here and talk about God's will for a second. Have you ever wondered about God's will? What God's will is for your life? What God's will is for you this afternoon? <laughs> what might God want you to do? How might God want you to put your family member in place this evening when you get around the family table? What is God's will for you, right? Well, as I researched for this sermon and I dug into the life of Mary, I became aware. Maybe I've always known this, Dennis, but this week I became especially aware that God's will is not determined by Mary's choice. In fact, I would go as far as just to say, Jackie, that God's will is not determined by choice. That may have a shot to our uh, Wesleyan, Arminian, uh, American holiness, theological upbringing. That was a lot of stuff right there. That might have something to do if you were raised in the Church of the Nazarene. You might want to be like, ugh, ugh, because we were told it's all about your choice. Where God's will has nothing to do with your choice. Let me demonstrate that God's will is always about the restorative and redemption of all things in all the world. That is God's will. What does God will? God wills that all things are restored and that all things are redeemed. That is God's will. So what is God's will for you tonight when you gather around the family table and you embark on your traditions? It's that all things are restored and redeemed. That is God's will. So if you want to know what God wants you to do in your job, I can tell you that God's will for you in your job is that all things are restored and that all things are redeemed. That is always God's will. It never changes. That you can, you can put everything you own on that. That that is God's will. God's will then is fulfilled. I don't know why I'm doing this a lot. But I just want you to know that I'm not like angry at you. I just haven't preached for a month. So like I'm pumped up. Okay. <laughs> I love you. This sermon is written for me as much as it's written for you. So if you just let me be me, I'll let you be you. I'm not mad or angry. I just like moving my arm. It's a good workout. God's will is fulfilled in responsive choices of trust. So in this story, you know what God's will is? To redeem and restore all humanity through entering in flesh. That's called incarnation. This is God's will and the nativity story is that he would enter in and redeem and restore all things through the baby Jesus. This is God's will. What's Mary's response? To trust that the lowly young girl, maybe as young as 10 years old, that she could be carrying this will. That the will of God could be placed within her, and that she could be the divine carrier of God's will. She trusts that God will do what God promised to always do. She was a non-resistant presence and an openness to the grace of God. And what's God's activity? Well, as we're told in verse 35, that God comes and fills Mary with the Holy Spirit. 
saying the Holy Spirit will come upon you. So what's God's activity? To absolutely overshadow this unassuming, non-resistant girl that she is overshadowed and filled with the presence of the Holy Spirit. The divine miracle here is not up to Mary to carry out. If you're raised in the same church as me, I want you to lean into that. The divine miracle is not up to you to carry out. There's no sort or amount of performance here that earns God's will. There's no sort of obedience here that earns God's favor. No. No, God just moves in and God finds the one that doesn't have anything to resist. Maybe because she was precisely unimportant. The divine miracle is not for Mary to sit and to grunt and to focus real hard and there may be an embryo born within her stomach. (laughs) There is nothing she can do. It's not up to her. (laughs) Oh boy. Maybe I need to go back on leave. No. Okay. I don't want to. The unimportant one from Nazareth is being transformed into an agent. Do you hear that, Ron? It is the unimportant one from the unassuming town of Nazareth, from the humble beginnings of her abode. She is being transformed. What might that bring to us in terms of hope? That it is the insignificant that is transformed by the filling of the Holy Spirit into an agent of God's salvific work in history because she is open, she is trusting, and she is unresisting. I like to think of Mary like an open bucket in a rainstorm or perhaps even for today's context, an overturned wheelbarrow in a snowstorm. She is the unhindered filling of the divine pouring out of all that which is in heaven being poured out and she is below unhindered non-resistant open like a bucket being filled in a rainstorm every drop of heaven being filled in her openness and receptivity mary's unresisting openness transforms her status here it is dennis the gospel of our lord jesus christ it's right here In one sentence, I'm going to nail it, okay? Mary's, I'm just joking. Mary's unresisting openness transforms her status from an unimportant, culturally insignificant person to a child of God, a divine carrier of God's will. And her response to all of this in verse 38 is, Here am I. I am. Am the Lord's servant. And culturally speaking, this is well, this is a significant uh, phraseology in their culture. In uh, near ancient uh, Palestine, first century, the household, the status of the master is extended to all. So the Lord of the household, whatever status the Lord of the household has, 
that is extended all the way down, clear throughout the economy of the house, all the way down to the lowest person, even the servant. So that whatever status that the Lord of the household carries, that status is also carried by the servant. Mary's response of trust in God's will changes her status. She is now no longer unimportant or insignificant. In fact, chances are when you came in here today, you didn't think you were going to learn about the unimportance of Mother Mary, did you? She is now no longer unimportant. She is now culturally incredibly significant because she is held under. Listen to this. This is scripture. She's held under the Most High. She's held in the power of the Holy Spirit. And she's carrying in herself Jesus the Christ. She is moved from unimportant to the theotakos, which is the Greek word for the carrier of God. She's moved from unimportant to the God-bearer, to the God-carrier. Our choices, Jacqueline, your choice, and my choice, Stephan, our choices, like Mary, are lived as a response to the action and promises of God. Kim, your choices cannot determine God's will. It's already been determined. Your choice is lived in response to God's inbreaking reign. This is what God will do. God will break in. Our lives then are at rest. That's a word we do not know in our culture, especially on Christmas Eve. Our lives are at rest. I didn't plan to do this, Jeff, but congregation, would you just join me for a second? Let's breathe in. Let's breathe the biggest, deepest breath you can and hold it. Count to five and breathe out. You ready? Let's go. Friends, would you rest here in the presence of Jesus Christ with me? God's choice comes to you. God comes to you. You might be in lowly beginnings. You might be in a humble place. You might be unimportant, insignificant, not chosen, looked over, picked over, abused. God does not stop. These things do not deter God, for His will will be accomplished. God chooses whom God chooses, and God comes to you. So rest in the choice of God breaking in to save our world. The choice has been made. If you have a choice in the matter, it is to respond in trust openness, and non-resistance. Your life is to be not like an umbrella that deflects the pouring out of the heavens, but like a bucket turned over in the midst of a monsoon rainstorm, letting yourself be consumed by every drop of heaven. Are you open? Are you non-resistant? God uses those that are non-resistant, those open to carry, God uses those 
who trust. For Gabriel says to Mary, nothing will be impossible with God. Jeff, I think that may be a good word for us this morning. Nothing, Jeff, will be impossible with God. Sherry, not one thing will be impossible with God. Donnie, can you believe the good news? Not one thing. Donnie, your life is not off limits. There's not one thing. That if God can come to Mary, then he can come to you, Donnie. And Tom, if God can move into Nazareth, then believe it or not, he can actually move into Raytown. I'm surprised. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) God also chooses Raytown and Lee Summit. Listen to the non-resistant characters of the story. John, good to see you, John. I got the dollhouse done, John. Did you get that text? Oh, don't anyone tell Hadley, but we made her a dollhouse. It's all done. We give it to her tomorrow morning. Oh, I'm so excited. Yes. Listen, John, to the characters of those that are non-resistant in the story of the manger scene. Of course, there's Elizabeth and Zechariah who are too old to have babies. So when the angel Gabriel comes to them, of course they're open. They're like 80 years old. What are they going to do? They can't, I mean, they, of course they're open. Why not? Nothing, it can't go wrong. <laughs> it can only go right. God chooses people like Elizabeth and Zechariah, the barren ones, too old to have kids. All they can do is be open. It's absolutely impossible unless it is with God. God chooses the shepherds. Those on the low, maybe the lower end, maybe even perhaps some of the lowest end of societal standards are the shepherds. And God comes to them. What are they going to resist? They're unimportant. They've never been chosen for anything. So by their very status, they are open. God chooses the town of Nazareth. What good things can come from Nazareth? Nazareth doesn't have an ego. It doesn't have pride. Nazareth is lowly. And so God comes and chooses that which cannot resist. God chooses to come in the form of a baby boy. What's more vulnerable? What's more open to being used? What's more beautiful than the vessel of a child who can do nothing but receive? And so how does God come to us? comes to us in vulnerability, comes to us in characters of openness. I don't think God chooses these people because they're poor. I think God can just use the poor more than he can use the rich. I think God loves the rich just as much as he loves the poor. But as we're told about in Scripture, it's really difficult for the rich to turn their bucket all the way upside down, emptying out all the contents that was in there to receive all the contents from God. That's very difficult for me to do, and I'm amongst the wealthiest in the world. Very, very low-end middle class in America, but in the world I am rich. I'm rich. It is difficult for me to empty out the contents of my life and to release control. I think this is why God consistently shows up in the abandoned, in the outcast in the lowly, in the humble, because they're non-resistant. They're completely open. I I, I feel like this is why we hear stories of miracles in third world countries, because there's nothing, there's no pride, there's no ego, there's nothing to keep God from breaking all the way in. 
So here in this story, it's Elizabeth, it's Zechariah, it's shepherds, it's Nazareth, it's a baby boy. Here are the open receptacle vessels whom God chooses to inhabit the free-flowing will of God. These are the gracious characters. They're non-resistant. They have absolutely nothing to hinder or impede the saving act of God to redeem and restore all things. And so we, Stephen, you and I, and maybe Matt, of course, Matt, we, through the movement of God in Jesus Christ, who sent his son to gather all, us all into the family of God, are invited to live like Mary's response. We are invited to live as Elizabeth or the shepherds or like Nazareth or the gentle baby boy. We are invited to live with non-resistance to the free-flowing grace of God, to be carriers you are invited to be carriers of God's divine activity. You are invited to be agents of grace, of generosity, and of peace on earth. We, you and I, like Mary, we are now held under the Most High. We are now held in the power of the Holy Spirit. We now are the carriers of Jesus the Christ. Oh boy. By the divine initiative of God's grace, we are moved from unimportant to theotokos. You, friends, are the carriers of the good news of the gospel. God is moving in. God is knocking on doors. And are you open? Unresistant. Are you like a bucket or are you more like an umbrella? Are you open to God choosing you or are you still in control of your choices? Has it occurred to you yet that you were chosen? You don't get the freedom to choose. You are chosen. Hmm. Or is the game still in your control? Friends, the Lord's will will be done in Lee's summit as it is in heaven. Does God have a carrier in you? The invitation is absolutely. He chooses you. What's required, Dennis? To pick up your cross. To deny yourself. To turn that bucket upside down. To be a receptor, a vessel, to receive the flowing of God's heavenly divine initiative, plan, and will into our lives to be the carriers of the good news of the gospel into our communities. God's will will be done. Christmas will happen. God will show up. Can he trust you to be a carrier of his initiative and of his will? Today, can I encourage you to stop seeking God and start answering the one who seeks you. He sought you for all of eternity. God has come to you. God is more concerned about you than you are concerned about him. 
God loves you more than you love him. In fact, God will teach you about love if you just surrender what you think you know about love. If you just stop looking, would you stop searching, would you stop